Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Live with Doug. My name is Doug, and we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and we are digging into God's Word, learning its truth, and we are in the middle of a, well, middle, we're probably still in the early stages of a series on the flesh and the spirit, looking uh, primarily at Romans 7 and Galatians chapter 5. So glad you are with us. Um, You know, as I continue to ponder all of this, Uh, It started off really wanting to expound on Romans 7 and uh, offer the view that I think is is clear from the text and that is different from what we normally think of. And uh, Romans 6 is so rich and Romans 8 is so rich that, uh, I don't know, if you all are with me, we may go continue to go kind of slow through this because uh, as people are already commenting, uh, this has just been so wonderful uh, for me. I've taught this many, many, many times, and yet every time I pour through Romans 6, I'm just overjoyed with the freedom we have in Christ, the power we have in Christ, and so on. So anyway, this may be a longer series than I originally uh, planned on. Um, we'll see. See how it goes. Uh, good morning, Alan and Peter and Keith and uh, the rest of you are there are with us. We are very glad that you are here. All right. So in uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, we left off yesterday uh, at verse 14, and I want to pick up there today. So in verse 14, he says, For sin shall not be master over you. And then he says something that's kind of surprising, uh, at least surprising for some. For you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. Uh, Let's back up a little bit and catch uh, what the, he says, he starts verse 14 with four, which indicates he's explaining something. So we need to go back. And catch what he's explaining. And that goes back to verse 12. And verse 12 begins with, therefore. <laughs> you you may be uh, already aware of my temptation. When he says, therefore, that's a conclusion from what he's been saying. So I want to go back and pick up everything. But I'm going to resist the urge uh, because I'll be able to come back and go back through it here in a minute. Anyway, so the command, verse 12, is do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And we talked about that, right? What a uh, That's a good thing. You do not have to obey the desires of your body. You do not have to, you should not let sin reign and rule in your life. And he says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. Remember, we talked about master sin in this realm of sin. And if you are just joining us, you really do need to go back and watch the earlier uh, live streams from this uh, series because that's a huge statement. You are not in master sin's realm anymore. So do not present the the body parts, your body parts, to master sin to obey it. Um as instruments of unrighteousness, but rather present yourselves to God. And you can do that now because you are no longer, well, you're no longer a, a part of that kingdom. You're part of this kingdom. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness for the reason you should not present your body to sin, but instead present your body to God is you are not, well, oh, sorry, Sin will not be master of you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, this strikes us as a little bit out of nowhere. 
but it's not if you know the earlier parts of the book. And he is setting up chapter 7 with this statement. And he does this a lot in, in many of his writings, but especially in Romans. Paul will give a statement and then he 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 deals with some other things that are related and then comes back to unpack to to expound on what he that statement that he made earlier. This is why I keep telling you, you cannot read the book of Romans or really any New Testament book or any Old Testament book. You can't read these letters as systematic theology. That is not how they are presented. Paul was writing to a group of people just like you and I would write something. And he makes some statements and and develops some things. And then he comes back and he says, yeah, you know, that was a point that I wanted to make, that I'm trying to make, that I, I mentioned something back here. And now I need to go back and catch that point and expand it so that you really understand the fullness of it. And so you see these themes and these these the, the recapitulations and and uh, continuing to expound upon different things that he said. And in some ways, we can go back to chapter one and see that the entire letter to the Romans is in a microcosm, microcosm in chapter one. So we've got to get out of this mindset that this is some systematic theology. It's not. So he's already talked about the law in a in a sort of negative way or at least the, the negative impact of being under the law. That might be a better way to put it. So when he makes this statement, you are not under law, but under grace. Sin shall not be your master. As I said yesterday at the end, the implication of this statement is, if you were under law, which remember the Jews were for centuries, if you were under the law, sin would be your master. Now, again, if you are a Jew hearing this, this is a, 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 a striking statement. It, it, it'll get your attention. Wait a minute. Paul, are you implying that being under the law equals being a slave to sin? Paul says, yes, that is exactly what I'm implying. And that's exactly what he's going to say in chapter 7. Alan said here in the comments, you are right about Romans 7. This is the language of someone in bondage. Exactly. This verse, chapter 6, verse 14, is setting up chapter 7 where he's going to describe the Jews enslaved to sin. Sin was their master. But he says, you are not under law, therefore sin is not your master. Now, he has said some other things earlier in the in the letter that set this negative effect of being under the law up. Let's look at some of these. Chapter two, he said, all who sinned without the law will perish out the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Do you hear kind of the, kind of the warning there? You Jews who are under the law, if you sinned under that law, that law is going to be your judge. You may think you're righteous, Mr. Jew, but if you sinned, that law is going to judge you. Four, he says, it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God. Simply having the law read to you, having the law of Moses there, that doesn't make you just. But those who do the law will be justified. How many Jews did the, did the law? How many obeyed it? One. <laughs> Jesus was a Jew under the law, and he obeyed it. So the law doesn't judge him guilty. But all the other Jews who have ever lived, they did not keep the law, and that law will judge them. Uh, he goes on, we talked about 
uh, some of this already. If you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law, do you, do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying this is what a, this is how a Jew lived, and, and Paul would know he was a Jew. If you bear the name Jew and you rely upon the law and you boast in God, that's what the Jews did. We see this all through the New Testament, uh, the Gospels rather. Jesus is encountering these self-righteous Jewish people. They thought, hey, we've got the law, we're good, and they boasted in this. And they knew his will, they thought, because they had the law. And they approved the things that are essential in the law, being instructed from the law. And he goes on in chapter 2 and says, you don't keep it. Verse 20, you're a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. Verse 23, you who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Now, we don't have time to get into this today, but in English here, this is translated with a question mark, uh, but there was no punctuation in the Greek. I don't think this is a question he's asking. I think he is making a statement. You Jews who boast in the law, through your breaking it, you dishonor God. And he quotes from the Old Testament, you cause the Gentiles to blaspheme against God because you break the law. Being under the law didn't guarantee anything. It just brought condemnation for those who were under it. He goes on a little bit later, for indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. So you have this mark on your body, you Jews. If you practice the law that you are now bound to as a circumcised individual, then great, it has benefit. But if you're a transgressor of the law, if you break it, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Again, <laughs> we're not going through Romans 2 in depth, but oh, there's so much. This is an inflammatory statement by Paul for the Jews. If you break God's law, you Mr. Jew, you become uncircumcised. You're no better than the Gentiles. Do you see why the Jews wanted him dead? This was like the worst insult you could give a Jew is to say you're like the Gentiles. Anyway, I got to go on. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 3, verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That's the Jews. And what's the result? Every mouth will be closed and all the world will become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The Jews will not be justified by the works of the law because they didn't keep the law. The law only condemned them. What did the law do? Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, for those of you with lightning minds, notice here he uses this word, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. He's using the word flesh to describe people in the context of keeping the law. Mark that down in your head for when we get to chapter 7. There's, a, there's a, an association here of the word flesh and those who are under the law. Spoiler alert. Okay. Uh, I wanna, can't, can't stay here forever because there's so much more that we need to, to look at. But, oh man, I'm so tempted to go back through chapters 2 and 3 and 4 and 1. Uh, verse 15 of chapter 4, he says, The law brings about wrath. 
being under the law is not a good thing because you can't keep it. And God's law says, if you break it, I will be angry with you and I will destroy you. The law brings about wrath. Uh, he goes on and says, you, Abraham was not an heir of all of God's promises because of the law, because the law came after Abraham. Uh, verse Chapter 5, verse 13, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. Uh, we'll come back to that later. Romans 5, verse 20, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. Now, now, hone in on that for a minute. We talked about it, but now we're getting more of the implications. God gave the law to Israel. He gave the Ten Commandments to Israel. And all the other aspects of the law in Exodus through Deuteronomy, he gave that to Israel so that what? So that the breaking of the law, the transgression would increase. Well, how and why would their sin increase, their, their breaking of the law? Why would it increase? How would it increase? By having the law. That's what he's getting at here. Chapter 6, verse 14. If you're under law, sin is your master. Do you see that? This is so important for understanding God's purpose in giving the law to Israel and where he's going in chapter 7. If for the Jew, under that law, that law became the, the guardian that we talked about before, it became the, the slave master, basically, and it caused Israel to be enslaved to sin. They couldn't keep it. It showed the, the, they had no power to obey God. So the law did. It made them a slave to sin. Okay. He's going to come back to that in chapter seven. Let's go on here in chapter six. What then? Therefore, what? How do we respond to this? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Let me tell you, as I've been teaching this for years, this, uh, the, the, the label for this view of the law is, uh, is new covenant theology. It's, uh, it's the, the tribe that I belong to, if you will. And one of the constant accusations against those of us who teach this view of the old covenant law is that we are antinomian. Oh, great. We're not under law, so live however you want to. There's even a, a favorite phrase the reform folks like to, to throw at us, a little poem. Um, Free from the law, O blessed condition, I can sin all I want and still have remission. That's what they think I'm saying. That's what they think people like me are saying. No. There may be some. There have been some. Like with any group, there are some that, that associate themselves with people like me, and they do teach antinomianism. They do say, you know, it'd be good if, you're, if you become more righteous, but it doesn't really matter. You're saved by faith, and what you do after that really doesn't matter. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. No one who looked at the scripture the way I do says that because the scripture doesn't say that. He anticipates somebody's going to do that. Oh, I'm not under law. Great. I'm under grace. Therefore, I can do whatever I want to and still be saved, still have eternal life. No. Paul argues against that with a passion because he knows people will draw that conclusion. He says, no, 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 no. Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? 
Meganoito. Absolutamente no. No way, no how, may it never be. That is absurd, ungodly thinking that you can continue in sin simply because you're not under law. Maybe you don't know this. Maybe you don't know. Look what he says. Do you not know? Maybe you don't know this. That when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. If you present yourself to a master, then that master is your master and you're its slave and you will obey your master. Either sin is your master, which goes to death. That's what sin does. It leads to death. The wages of sin is death, as he will go on and say. Or you obey obedience. Kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? Which leads to righteousness. Those are the only two options. So you're not under law. I'm not under law. But I am a slave to whomever I give myself a slave to. And if I give myself as a slave to sin, then sin is my master. And that is what leads to death. If I give myself as a slave to obedience, obeying God, that leads to righteousness. That's what he says. So don't think you are free to sin just because you're not under law. That is ungodly thinking. But he says that's not true of us. Look, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. See, you're not under the law. I'm not under the law. But we're not slaves of sin either. You were that. But you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. There is so much here. Uh, first of all, this word type or this word form is the word type in Greek. It's, the, it's what we use, think about typology. And, and earlier in chapter five, he said Adam was a type of Christ, the types and shadows of the Old Testament. It, very interesting that he uses that word here. Uh, there, there's this type of teaching that you were delivered over to literally. You obeyed it from the heart. I think he's probably alluding to Ezekiel 36, where God promises there that in the new covenant, he's going to give us a new heart. He's going to write his laws on our heart, which means we're going to have a complete transformation in the new covenant. Uh, Jesus talked about this. You've got to be born of the water and the spirit. And this, he, God says, I'm going to put my spirit in, in people and give them a new heart. And they're now going to have this desire to obey from within. The Jews didn't have that. It's part of the new covenant. I think probably that's what Paul's alluding to here. Thanks be to God, you were a slave to master sin, but then God did something in your heart and he transformed you. He put his spirit in you and now you've become obedient to this typology, the type of teaching that you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Hallelujah. That's good news. There is no sin that you can't overcome. We talked about this, right? Addictions, pornography, lusts, anger, all kinds of malice, abuse. If, if you're harsh with your wife and your kids or you're disrespectful to your husband, uh, if you're 
overcome with anxiety, whatever. There is no sin that is master over you if you are in, in Christ. You've been freed from master sin and you've become a slave of righteousness. Live in that freedom. Now he uses this phrase, this phrase here, you're a slave of righteousness. What a, what a strange thing to say. And so Paul says, I'm admitting, I'm using some interesting language. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. I'm, I'm, this, this analogy of being freed from sin and enslaved to obedience, it, it doesn't make any sense. And he, he, he's admitting that. I'm, I'm speaking in human terms here. Because of the weakness of your flesh, or this could be translated because of your weakness of the flesh. And I'm very tempted to look at flesh here the way he's going to use it in chapter 7 and tie it to the law. He's already introduced this concept of law. But I don't think that's probably what he means. He might. Probably he just means, look, you're, you're, there's a weakness in your, in your body, in your person, in your being, your, your, in your humanity. Because um, flesh can mean all kinds of things. But it can mean, it can mean our skin. Uh, it can mean something different that we're going to look at in chapter 7. But it can just mean sort of a synonym for humanness. So probably that's why he's using it here. You, you have this weakness. You, 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 you've been, you're, you're not able to comprehend these things fully. And so that's why I'm using these human metaphors and terminology about slavery to help you. Um, but again, it is possible that he's using it in terms of uh, something he's going to get at later. So I don't know. Uh, we will see. If I change my mind down the road, <laughs> we'll see. Um, okay, so... Let's, uh, let's move on from that for now. Just, and he picks up his argument again. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. Let me just, before we finish the just as, just pick that up. So this is what was true of you when you were not a Christian. This is what is true of the world we live in. All of your friends, your family members, the, the, everybody you know that's not a believer, this is them. This is true of them. They present the members of their body, their body parts. They present them as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness. Your friends, your family members, your children, parents, aunts and uncles, cousins, sisters, brothers, your coworkers, if they're not Christians, they're slaves of sin. It, we should not be shocked at the wickedness we see around us. We shouldn't be shocked at sinners who act like sinners. They're enslaved. They present them. They, they readily give themselves to sin and become slaves of master sin. It's, it's what they do. It's what you did before you were a Christian. And Paul says, just as you did that, now that you're alive in Christ, present your members, your body parts, as slaves to righteousness which does not lead to impurity and uncleanliness. It does not lead to lawlessness. It leads to holiness, sanctification. This is what we're called to do. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Again, do you see, this is that human language you're talking about. This, this, 
at one level, this doesn't make sense, but he's just trying to illustrate a point. You were a slave to sin and you were free from the realm of righteousness. You weren't enslaved to obedience and righteousness. You were enslaved to sin, not to righteousness. That's, that's the state you were in. Weird, huh? But that's not where you are now. Therefore, what benefit were you de- deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Now, I need to point out something here. This word benefit is literally in Greek the word fruit. So you were a tree and you were bearing a certain kind of fruit. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus used this over and over again. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. You are a bad tree. And what fruit were you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? What, what fruit were you deriving from your sin? Here's the fruit. You were doing things you were ashamed of, or now you're ashamed of. You weren't ashamed of them then. And that was going to lead to death. That's what sin does. It leads to death. Now, I highlight the fruit analogy, not only because it alludes to something Jesus taught, but because he's going to use the same word in Romans 7, and it's very important to see the connection, okay? So think about that. When you were an unbeliever, some of you had very dramatic conversions. You lived a life of wanton sin, and and you had a dramatic uh, conversion. And now you look back at with shame, right? At the things you were doing back then. You were enslaved to sin and now you've been freed from that and you realize that was awful. And the fruit from your life was more sin. And you know, I deserve to die for that wickedness. So why would you go back that? Why would you present yourself to that sin again? Don't do it, he says. But now... Having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your fruit, same word, resulting in sanctification, holiness. The outcome of that is eternal life. And then he makes a statement that we're all so familiar with. Many of you have memorized it. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Something we need to know about this. Eternal life. We so often think of eternal life as living in the clouds with our harps, floating around singing. Got our little angel wings flapping around. No, 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 no. Eternal life. We have to start thinking about eternal life as life on earth in the next age. This word eternal here, right here, this is the word ionios. Ion, aeon, eon. <laughs> it's the word for eras of time. When the when the scripture uses the term eternal life, think of it this way, life in of the ages, life in the ages or the next age, which is going to be on this earth renewed. This earth is going to be reborn. It's going to be glorified, brought back to like Eden, only way better. Every vestige of sin and its curse is gone. We're going to get new bodies living on that earth. I stress that because this death here he's talking about is physical death. Okay? So let's let's capture what's been going on here. Jesus conquered death. 
He died. He experienced death because he was born like us and lived in this realm of sin, even though he didn't commit any sin on his own. And he experienced the wages of sin. He died, but he conquered it. He rose again. He, 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 death couldn't hold him, right? Uh, Paul already alluded to this back in chapter 6, verse 8. If we died with Christ, united to him in his death, we believe we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Well, now that we've joined to him, we've been raised spiritually, so to speak, our inner man has been raised and now we can put to death the deeds of our body, but we are still in this mortal body that will die. But because we are joined to Christ, death does not have the final statement, doesn't have the final word. We will rise again. We're waiting for the resurrection. Oh, it's glorious. It's glorious. We'll come back. We'll come back to that tomorrow. All right. So here's what I want to, uh, to show you. And then I'll look at some of your statements and questions. Okay. Here's, I want to just show you kind of a graphic. And if you're listening to this on uh, on a podcast, you might want to come back and catch the end of this on YouTube just to see the graphic. And we'll come back to this uh, probably tomorrow as well. But I want to show you uh, kind of in graphic form what he's been saying. Whoop, that's the wrong, uh, that's the wrong one. This one. Here's, there, there are two realms, right? We've been looking at this. Two realms. I have here the left side, the, the realm of sin reigning. Master sin is the, the king of this realm, which leads to death. Physical, bodily death. He's not talking about eternal death in this context. He's not talking about what comes after death. Remember the writer of Hebrews says it's appointed for man once to die and then judgment. Uh, here, he's not talking about what happens after judgment yet. He's talking about physical death. In this, in this side, on this, on this side of it, there's the old man that we talked about is, is who we were as offspring of Adam, that old man, the body of sin, the body controlled by sin. Death rules over here. Some people are under law, under that realm. They were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to sin. Everyone's enslaved to sin. That led to lawlessness, uncleanness, and things of which we are now ashamed. That is the realm that all of us were born into. This is the realm that everyone who is an unbeliever currently lives in. That's their kingdom. The only exception would be the under law part. No one's under the Mosaic law anymore, but all the rest of this is is true and real of everyone who's not a believer. They're in the old, they are the old man. They're in the body of sin. Death rules over them. They're enslaved to sin. They're lawless. They're unclean, and they're doing things of which they should be ashamed. When you were joined to Christ, you now became part of this realm over here. Grace reigns. You have the hope of life in the ages. That's what we are waiting for. That's, that's where we're going to live forever in the, in the ages to come. Life, not death, life. You are dead currently with the Messiah. You died. His death was your death. His resurrection from the dead is your resurrection. Currently, you have the newness of life. Consider yourselves dead to sin and eventually your bodies will be redeemed. 
Romans 8. That body of sin has been destroyed. It's not your master. You've been freed from master sin. You are alive to God now. You have holiness. You are increasing in holiness. You are a slave to righteousness, and you are not under the law. These two kingdoms could not be further apart. They could not lead to more diverse ends. That's glorious. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I hope, hope you're grasping this. This is, this is worthy of rejoicing. All right, our time is quickly slipping away. Let me, uh, let me come back here and catch some of the things that you, are, you said. Peter said, I have a question from yesterday's session. If your interpretation of Romans 6 is correct, and I'm not saying that it is not, how does it tie up with Jesus telling people to go and sin no more? Uh, let me see if I can grasp. Uh, oh, you have a follow-up. Maybe this will help. Was it just something he just said? If not, then how could they if they were not a new creation? Gotcha. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think they were new creatures until after the resurrection. But the, still, the command would be, from every perspective, they should, they should stop sinning. Um, they're like any other Jew at that point, right? The, the people that Jesus would have said that to were Jews, and they, they were all under the law and called to, to not sin. He wasn't saying they would be able to do it. They, maybe they would be able to overcome the particular sin that he was confronting there. But yeah, I think it was, uh, look, you, you need to strive for righteousness, and like every other Jew, as they continue to strive to overcome those sins, what it should have done was expose they are enslaved. They can't overcome that sin. And the hope would be that at the resurrection, they would realize that they would believe and then the spirit would come upon them and give them the freedom to overcome. That's what I think, if I'm understanding your question correctly. Um, J.H. says, if you can overcome any sin, then over a long enough timeline, you will eventually be perfect, won't you? So the problem of this life isn't long enough to be perfected. Uh, I'm, uh, that question is born out of a, uh, a clear, you're, you're hearing what I'm saying, which, uh, which I think is, is great. Um, we'll talk more about this when we get into chapter 8. Uh, I don't know that I would say it's just a matter of time. Um, I'm, I'm trying to decide here on the fly if I want to address this now or wait till we get to chapter eight, and I'm inclined to wait. Um, I'll say it this way succinctly, and then ask you to to stay with us and uh, come back because this is this is a great question that's going to be provoked when we get in chapter eight. Um, I'll say this: I don't know anyone who is perfect, perfectly righteous, and I don't. Uh, uh, I don't claim to be, but the power of sin is broken. We do have the spirit. God says things like, uh, or Paul says things like, um, you know, he's given us, uh, all that we need. Peter said that he's given us all we need for life and godliness. Um, and uh, JH just follow up said, you can wait. That's okay. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm very optimistic and because I believe the Bible is that we can overcome temptation, but we don't. We don't. 
Um, Because we don't always walk in the spirit. And I don't think it's just a matter of time exactly, but we must be increasing in holiness as Christians. Uh, And as we, if you're not more righteous than than you were 10 years ago, assuming you've been a believer all that time, something's wrong. Your growth has been stunted. Um, we should be growing in this. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to raise more questions yet that will be answered, I think, in uh, in Romans chapter 8. All right. Thanks for your patience. We've gone a little long. I hope this is encouraging to you. Uh, I really do. Uh, tomorrow, we are going to come back and look a little bit more at what it means that the uh, the wages of sin is death and and set up the uh, the final necessary piece to jumping into chapter 7 and walking through that text. So I would encourage you, start reading ahead with all that we've been talking about. Go back and and screenshot that chart I made of the two realms, and then read chapter 7 with that in mind. And I bet you'll get ahead of me and see where we're going. All right, one more thing here from Jesus, and then I'm going to go. Jesus says, The more and more I read those passages, the more I get frustrated, I must admit, regarding those that preach theonomy and stress the law so much more than Christ. Yep. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. God bless everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.